Seinfeld, the label maker, is over and has been for quite some time, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap of podcast about nothing, and now here are the two guys who are seldom ensconced in velvet. I am Rob Sister, and here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? I thought you were going to say we're the two biggest CFL fans on the planet. Yeah, that's funny. I was going to say that the two guys who are weaker than the Ukraine, but I sense that you might be strong, Akiva. No, I'm, I'm weak. You're that's weak? so nice of you to say. When I was a kid, I, I was like stronger than people would think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have I have like very short legs. I feel like I have a lot of arm strength for someone who does nothing. Like I could lift something heavy, but I would lose in a fight to anyone. Right. Like when Jerry described George as he's strong, he could pick this thing up over his head without even thinking about it. Like, I feel like that you might have that power. Maybe I, I, I can lift more than I know, I've never lifted like real weights, but I can carry heavy things. But I'm not like strong. I feel like means you could beat people up. I can't beat anybody up. OK. <laughs> All right. Here we are to talk about Seinfeld's 98th episode. Is that correct, Akiva? Yeah, that's correct. Two away from 100. We're, uh, you know, we're firmly in uh, 1995. I, you know, it's, it, it, time flies. Yes. And here we are, the 12th episode of season six of Seinfeld here from January 19th, 1995. Akiva and I are planning our own Seinfeld 100th episode celebration. Not quite the 100th episode of this podcast because we doubled up some uh, episodes along the way. But we're very excited to bring you our 100th episode extravaganza coming up in two weeks. I feel like we could turn every we could turn the next six weeks, you know, like it'll be Seinfeld hundredth, then our hundredth, then we'll have like our hundredth, including other podcasts we've done. You know, we could really make we could we could milk it for like five straight weeks, basically. Yeah. You know how sometimes like the Mets will make it their 50th anniversary, but it, it'll be like the 50th season. And then the then the actual 50th anniversary, they'll do like two years because mm-hmm. let's say they started in 62. So it'll be like 2012. 2011 is the 50th season. And then 2012 is like the 50th anniversary. So you get to milk it on both sides. You get to milk it on both sides. Okay. So we won't go that crazy, right? No, I don't think we have to. I, I feel like even, even celebrating it once is probably enough. <laughs> yeah. A little self-congratulatory. But we are very excited for that show, which is going to be coming up in two weeks. And what we decided to do was that we were going to do all feedback on that episode, talking about questions that you guys had for us about the first 100 episodes of Seinfeld, where we think it's going from here. Any spoilers on how the series might end? I guess we can discuss that as well, all on the 100th episode retrospective. Send those questions in Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com, or you could even send us voicemail for the first time at postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. You know, uh, people asked, should they send in questions about the podcast or about the show? And I said, preferably the show, but either one is fine. Either one is fine. I feel like uh, the podcast might even be more fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, you know, the more questions, the merrier. Yeah, so that'll be coming up for our 100th episode, and we'll see if we have any other uh, things that we can throw into that show and then resume with uh, the episodes following. And we'll also discuss the 100-episode recap that Seinfeld did as well in that special. Yeah, I'm not sure how much time we'll need to dedicate to what the highlights are, but sometimes we get on tangents. So it could could be ours. Who knows? Okay. So, Akiva, you have any news, any social media items you want to mention here at the top of the show? Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the news. I saw, uh, you know, President Obama's in the news. Mm -hmm. Typically. He's he's down there in Cuba. Yes. He's hanging out with that guy from Seinfeld. (laughs) Truly one of the worst people on earth, a man who has the blood of thousands of innocent people on his hands. And I know you don't want, like when I get political, 
But when it comes to the president palling around with Derek Jeter, one of history's greatest monsters, I cannot stay silent. <laughs> Derek Jeter is in Cuba with Obama? Yeah, he's there. Why? What's his role in all this? I don't know. He just he wanted a free trip. I have no idea. <laughs> I just saw them with their, with their you know, arms around each other. And hopefully his approval rating now is to have. What's his connection to Obama or Cuba? Well, th- there's a baseball game going on today. Like, okay. uh, it's the, the Rays playing the Cuban national team. All right. So I guess they brought like some elder statesman of Major League Baseball. <laughs> right. All right. So there you go. Derek Jeter down, you know, hanging out with Obama in Cuba. And uh, anything else from Seinfeld? Uh, not really. Jerry sold his cars for a lot of money. Yeah. Got a lot of money for those cars. I wonder if, is that bad? Like, did he need the money? Do you think he's, do you think he's like going broke? Mm, I don't know. I just think you could have only so many cars at some point. It's like, ah, I know. What do I need this aggravation for? It is. It is. Even, even if you have all the money in the world, it's probably like a lot of paperwork and you have to go buy the cars and you have to watch. A lot of them are bought on eBay nowadays. You have to like watch these auctions. So it, it does sound like way too much work. It's annoying. All right. Well, Hiva, let's talk about this episode, which is all about Super Bowl tickets, the game Risk, a label maker, a lot of stuff going on, a co-ed roommate situation, all things that you enjoy talking about. Yeah, I love talking about co-ed roommates. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that here today. So all right, let's go back to January 19th, 1995 and talk about an episode written by Bergen Schaefer. What have they been up to? Yeah, it's their second episode. Uh, that they wrote together. Uh, I, I, Schaefer is one half of the team that created uh, the league with his wife, Jackie. And uh, they were both, Berg and Schaefer were both big on Curb Your Enthusiasm with another uh, Seinfeld writer, David Mandel, who we'll, uh, we'll see very soon. Uh, really astute Seinfeld fans will know that they use the name Alec Berg as the, as the guy who gives Jerry the uh, Rangers playoff tickets in the face painter. Oh, yes. Coming up, coming up. And I th- if I'm not mistaken, speaking of history's greatest monsters, I believe <laughs> that Jeff Schaefer and his wife have two favorite NFL teams also, which you know is one of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> Who are their two favorites? I think it's like the Seahawks and the Chargers. Mm. So. Well, that was probably problematic at the time that the Seahawks played in the AFC West, but it seems less problematic now. My sense is that people who have two favorite teams probably don't even know that they were both in the same division. <laughs> <laughs> they should be pumped up when the Chargers move to Los Angeles. I'm sure. Well, yeah, I'm sure they have season tickets now, but they're probably still. I don't. I don't think if the Chargers were 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 good if when they when they move if they move then you know that maybe they they disavow the Seahawks. The problem is the Seahawks are good, so maybe they'll just move to Seattle. Yeah, but maybe they won't be good at the time that you know the Chargers move to Los Angeles. That's true. Who knows? You know, NFL cyclical. Sorry, I don't want. And if you were like, if you were a Chargers fan, you could drive down there for a game or two every year. It's only two hours. Why not? Why not? It's a beautiful drive. drive. And I barely drive. Yeah, it's easy. All right. Well, Jerry's opening monologue, speaking of sports, is a pretty classic piece of Jerry's stand up where he talks about that as sports fans, we don't root for the players. We root for the laundry. You could have one player. He changes teams and you boo him. It's the same guy, but he's wearing a different shirt. We hate him now. Akiva, this is uh, pretty iconic stuff, right? Yeah, it's timeless. It's probably held up as well as any bit of stand-up in that it's so famous that people probably don't even realize it was from Jerry. Do they just say, like, rooting for laundry, you know, when a player switches teams or when LeBron James does the decision or something like that. Mm-hmm. The decision meaning his decision to unfollow his, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers on Twitter. That was a big topic. But um, I think... Uh, I, I agree. I, I totally agree with what he's saying. I, I could care less about any player on any of my teams the second they leave. 
I'm probably in like the hundredth percentile of not caring about the players at all. Wow. You know, I just want to win. I'm like Al Davis. I don't, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't care who's on my team. I'd rather them not be like horrible people, but if they are, as long as they're helping me, that's okay. So any sort of transgression a player might commit, you don't have any issue with them as long as they can, you know, throw, hit, run, you're good. I've never had a, a guy who never rooted for a guy who could throw well, but you know, <laughs> I, if that happened, yeah, sure. I, I, I mean, the thing is, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any, like if, if David Wright left the Mets or whoever, you know, leaves the Jets, like I don't have any, it really is all about the laundry. Like I have no uh, love for, for anyone who leaves and I don't hate them. I won't boo them. I'm just indifferent towards the players. The okay. players come and go. All right. Well, let's get into, we start off with Jerry and George at the hot dog cart and Akiva, the what's your opinion officially on the hot dog carts? You know, it's it's fine. It's a New York City tradition. Um, I don't have I don't have a problem with them. Are they you are you asking hot dog cart? They have they have uh, most of them aren't. But yeah, they have kosher hot dog carts. Yes. Yeah. No, uh, I think it's pretty gross, but it does not mean that I would not uh, love to have one. Right. I feel like you beforehand you'd eat it and then afterwards you'd not want one for a few years. I would walk past and like, oh my God, oh, I'd love one of those hot dogs. And then I'd have it and you know, hopefully maybe it's like I've had a beer already and then I'm sure. just really not thinking about it. Yeah, it's also like, are you like on the way to, you know, where are you? Are you going to like a business meeting? Like I don't know if that's the appropriate if you're walking home and you're hungry and you pass a cart, I feel like that's <laughs> the ideal scenario. Yeah. Great scenario. So uh, love the hot dog cart. And so Jerry is trying to get rid of these Super Bowl tickets uh, to George, and he cannot get rid of the Super Bowl tickets. Now, Akiva, which Super Bowl is this? This is uh, the Super Bowl following the 94 season. Is this the Chargers and the 49ers? Yes, it's the 49-26 uh, Niners-Chargers Super Bowl. So it turns out to be tickets to a historically bad game. Oh, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know what your memories are Speaking of that Super Bowl. of the great San Diego Chargers. Sure. I don't know what your, yeah, that's probably. And Stan they, the Man Humphreys. The, the, uh, and the Tron means the, <laughs> the Tron means business. Yeah. The, uh, the Schaefer family, they were probably Chargers fans. And then after this game, I'm like, oh man, we might need to double down and mm-hmm. roof of the Seahawks. Also. Get a second team. Surprised they're not Chargers and Niners fans. Yeah. Do you remember this game at all? Like yeah. I, I know where I was. I know who I watched with. Do you have any memories? I remember where I was. And I really, this was really at the start of my NFL watching career. You know, I really didn't get into watching, uh, the NFL probably until I was like, you know, 13 or 14 and following it closely. But this was one of the first Super Bowls that I sort of remember. This is like the first one in like four years that the Bills aren't a part of, right? Right. Yes. Yeah, no Bills. Uh, yeah, there, was, there wasn't a lot of buzz because the Chargers weren't good. I, this was the first time I ever threw a Super Bowl party. I invited like my parents got a big like six foot or whatever foot like a uh, hero sandwich. Oh, wow. And I had like a few friends over and uh, we watched the game, but the game was over on the third play. So it was I feel like my friends were calling their parents at halftime to pick them up just because the game was over. Not only was it a bad game, it was also like I feel like it was expected to be a bad game. I feel like it was like a 13 and a half point line, like going in in favor of the 49ers. Yeah. And the uh, it, it was supposed to be a bad game. Jerry Rice. Uh, catches like a, a slant touchdown really early. I think Ricky Waters, mm-hmm. who had like three touchdowns in the game or something. It's Steve Young's Super Bowl. Yeah, it's Steve Young's only Super Bowl. And it was, the final score was 49-26, but the Chargers got eight points at the very end. And 
I think at one point the lead was like 35 or something. So it, yeah. it was it was never a close game. Yeah, really one of the worst Super Bowls that there ever was. And so it really turns out to be a blessing for uh, Tim Watley to not end up going to this one for a lot of reasons. But uh, so Jerry can't get rid of these Super Bowl tickets. Do we know how Jerry got the Super Bowl tickets? No, we don't know how he got the Super Bowl tickets. I mean, it doesn't seem like Jerry. Normally I think he goes wanted to, to go. He probably bought them or or. You know, he wanted to go, but then then he didn't realize that the wedding came up. But also, usually get Super Bowl tickets only a few weeks beforehand. Yeah. So I don't know how impromptu the Drake's wedding was. So, yeah, the Drake's wedding ends up being on the Super Bowl. I don't know if it was like one of these things where it was like, hey, there's a really cheap day to book the wedding on this one. Uh, I wonder why this day is so cheap. Oh, who knows? So they just booked that day to the wedding and Jerry has to go to the Drake's wedding because he's in the wedding party. Yeah, and Jerry didn't buy the tickets because the only thing they say about where he got them from was that he got them for free. So maybe because he was a comedian and someone gives like the celebrity tickets or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's easier to, 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 you know, had he spent $500 a piece on them, it would be harder to turn down the wedding. But if you got them for free, I don't think it's a big deal to give him away because it's weird to make money on something you got as a gift. He's almost like regifting it as a worse than regifting it is selling a gift, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that would be very frowned upon. I mean, it's been done, but uh. <laughs> sure, it happens. Uh, so anyway, so Jerry has these tickets and uh, he can't get them to Elaine. It turns out that Kramer is only interested in, in Canadian football. Who knew? It's such a such like a beautiful, like random note in there. That's, you know, <laughs> never that really. Do we ever hear? I, I mean, they say it. Yeah, I'd say it's canon. OK, does Kramer ever seem to know about anything from American football? I'm trying to think if Kramer has so far mentioned he's mentioned baseball a lot. Hold on a second. Wasn't Kramer Basketball. trying to get to the Giants game with Joel Rifkin? Oh, yeah, that's true. So but like going to a game in New Jersey, you know, that's a 15 minute drive if there's no traffic is a lot different than flying to Florida and buying a hotel room. Hold on. Are you telling me Kramer wouldn't go? The guy who's the ultimate mooch wouldn't take a trip to Miami for a free Super Bowl tickets? Have you ever spoken to someone who's in love? Who, like, who, who just want you? Like, you ask someone, your friend, he just met a girl, and, he, and he's like, yeah, I can't. You're like, he can't. He's not going to go to a game or go to a concert with you. That's what Kramer is right now with risk. Okay. He's not in his right mind. I think you're going to say with Canadian football. No, 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 no. It's with the risk game. Like, he can't focus on anything else. Yeah. I do think it's out of character for Kramer not to want to go once he gets the free tickets. But, okay, so that's just a plot device. And George won't go. He looks at those tickets like a $1,500 bill. Yeah, no, that's a smart take. It's people, you know... It's like being invited to a destination wedding. You know, that's great. But then you're not, you know, you're just paying for my meal. I got to fly to, you know, Puerto Rico. I got to put myself up for like three nights and it's a disaster. Yeah. Are you, I know you're a huge NFL fan, if not the biggest NFL fan around. Would you, would you want to be there for a Super Bowl or you're just as content to watch it on TV? You know, my grandfather and I have a rule. My grandfather bought Jet season tickets the week the Jets signed Joe Namath in 1965 um that we will only go if the jets are in it okay so you're never going no we're never going <laughs> I mean, he's turning he's turning uh i think 87 tomorrow <laughs> did he go to super bowl three he didn't go to super bowl three even though he had the tickets he did go to one of the raiders redskins super bowls okay uh, when he was out on business in california okay all right so we find out that george also has started seeing a new woman and i believe her name is bonnie Yes, Bonnie. Bonnie. And that he had not only 
hasn't discussed uh, sleeping arrangements with her. He has not even seen her apartment yet. He's going to be seeing her apartment uh, tomorrow night. That's going to be the first time that George will see Bonnie's house. Yeah, I don't know how long he's been dating her for. Yeah, seemingly not too long. But anyway, all right, hey, there's Tim Watley over there. And we find out that in the aftermath of the Jerry coming to Tim Watley's Thanksgiving party, that it turned out that Jerry just blamed the whole thing on George. Uh, yeah, but, but it sort of answers the question of, is it possible Jerry was invited? And the answer is no. No, he was not. And so Jerry says to Tim Watley, hey, you want to go to the Super Bowl? Here you go. Here's two tickets. Have a good time. Uh, yeah, I mean, what a gift, honestly. Even if like you don't want to go, I feel like it's, it's pretty high up there on the gifts. Yeah, very nice gift. And uh, Tim Watley wants to make it up to Jerry. He says, can I take you to dinner sometime? How about Mendy's? Very funny call back to all of the Banya stuff from this season. Again, there's thousands of restaurants in Manhattan, but all anybody's talking about is Mendy's. <laughs> Mendy's, Mendy's, Mendy's. All right. So we see Jerry back at his apartment. He's on the phone and uh, he got a gift from Tim Watley. He got a label maker. What Tim Watley, like FedEx this over? Or he gave it to Newman that like, hey, like uh, when you see Jerry, hand this to him. I mean, if so, they have a very interesting mailman relationship because you can hand your mailman a letter. I think they're happy to take the letter. <laughs> <laughs> just on your way home, Newman, and go drop that off. Yeah. Is uh, Cesarino on your route? You mind just giving this to him? <laughs> yeah. He lives in your building, right? I mean, I get that Newman knows everything about where Tim Watley lives. It seems weird that Watley knows that his mailman happens to live on Jerry's floor. And also, when you live in a building in Manhattan, mm -hmm. you don't, you like, you could go, your mailman might come in the middle of the day. Like, you could never see him. I think I lived in the same building for like five years. I don't know if right. I saw the mailman more than once. Right, because they are doing everything in the box and you're upstairs and you come down like, oh, I got letters where you didn't actually see totally. the person. They're not dropping stuff off at your door. No, no, no you never see them. They, they go into the mail room and that's it. Okay, all right. So, we see Kramer knocking at the door. He comes in holding the board game. He backs in holding Risk, uh, the game of world conquest. Akiva, have you ever played Risk? Yeah, but not for many years. What about you? You know, I really, I played it when I was a kid. And then I don't know if you remember when we did the reality game masters on yeah, Robin's podcast. Yeah, where we had uh, the reality stars where three people from Survivor and three people from Big Brother uh, we played a very serious game of risk that did not involve moving the board at all. No, there, there was no cheating as far as you know. I do not believe that there was any cheating, that there might have been some collusion between the survivors and the Big Brother people in terms of like the survivors all working together. But I think that was all pretty above board. Sure. I think that comes with the territory in a multiplayer game. Yeah. And so Kramer wants to put the board down because he has to go Newman has to go to work and they can't leave the board unattended right so Jer they decide that Jerry's the most neutral guy they know probably the only person they know yeah he's like Switzerland I don't want to be Switzerland <laughs> yeah, doesn't want to be Switzerland he doesn't want to be the neutral person and you know Newman says hey uh, look you could trust me uh, and uh, Kramer saying that you can't and uh, you can't trust some people. And he says, uh, don't look at me, Newman says. And Kramer says, I'm looking right at you, big daddy. Yeah, in the deleted scene, it's basically the exact same scene, except Newman makes Kramer give the key, that, that uh, uh, Jerry's key that, Newman, that Kramer has back to Jerry. Yes. That Kramer has to relinquish his key for the meantime so he doesn't sneak into the apartment when Jerry's not there and change the board. And as we always say, these scenes are indeed deleted for a reason. Right. Not funny, but it is sort of like, uh, you know, it, the key is a, is a callback, at least that adds a little bit. Yeah. So here comes Elaine. 
And uh, she's like, hey, look, what, uh, Jerry's showing off the label Baby Junior. She says, oh, that's a great gift. I just got one uh, for Tim Watley. It's worth mentioning, I think, that these episodes are basically the last episodes before the Internet starts. And the Internet's not a huge factor in season seven through nine. But it really is not on their radar when they're writing these episodes in probably December of 94. Yeah. So something like the label maker was still very exciting. I remember my mom would just label everything. You know? Well, what does that, the label maker have to do with the Internet? Because once we got the Internet, people stopped doing stupid things like <laughs> labeling clothing. <laughs> like it was technology. This was like this was to my mom. This was like a Game Boy. You know, so the Internet was, ruined labels. <laughs> I, the Internet ruined a lot of things like no one's gotten anything done for the last 20 years, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, there really wasn't that much to do on the Internet at that point in time. No. Well, that, that's true. So that's why, like, the first couple the last couple years of Seinfeld aren't really ruined by, you know, the AOL 1.0 discs, the 53 hours in the mail. <laughs> but but the label maker was much more exciting in the mid 90s. I'm telling you, my mom. That was like her favorite toy. She was like, I'd go to camp and every sock I had would be labeled and every mm-hmm. pair of underwear, like everything was labeled. I do have a label maker. Uh, I am always seemingly out of either batteries or label tape in it, but I do Yeah, the have first one. time you run into tape, that thing goes in the closet and never comes out. <laughs> yeah, I do have an extra cartridge, so I'm ready to go. They really just sort of pad the end of things. Like they could make like, a, you know, if I type in a word, there's like an inch of tape on each side, like buffer. They really make you burn through the tape. Yeah, you got to it's like you got to close the margins. I only, you know, like on Microsoft Word, I don't know how to do that on the label maker. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to do that either. I, I think they make it impossible. I mean, it's, it's big label wants you to spend as much money as possible on, on new labels. <laughs> big label. Sure. That's right. So Jerry explains that he got the gift for Tim Wadley for the Super Bowl tickets. And Elaine thinks it's the same one. He recycled a gift. He's a re-gifter. Now, Akiva, re-gifter, where we talked about last week, refunding did not take Regifting did definitely I, I you know i can't confirm for sure that they invented it but they certainly take credit for it and it definitely is a thing if you say regifting someone they might not know it's from seinfeld but they certainly know what it means yeah i would say most people probably don't know it's from seinfeld right but everyone knows that regifting is a thing i feel like maybe it's even become more accepted because of seinfeld uh, you think that people are okay with regifting i don't think people are certain okay. things i feel like Regifting, like they say, a bottle of wine in certain scenarios is probably acceptable. Really, I think. Well, that, why not? Why, like, it's not touched. It's not like I have a drunk bottle of wine. Yeah, but I think that people feel like, oh, you went to the store and you paid money. For oh, yeah, this but for oh, me? I, the, the key to the regift is not to let people know that you regifted it. Well, obviously, it's acceptable if people don't know that it was regifted. Do you, do you know how you know how to get away with it? Don't give it to two best friends. Right. Right. That would be good. That know each other uh, that are really tight and hang out all the time. That's pretty good. Solid piece of advice for Tim Watley. Yeah. All right. So Jerry says, well, maybe he just really liked it so much that he's giving it to everybody. He's like an evangelist now for label baby junior. And that is a thing. I feel like if my mom gets it like a nice gift, then she'll go. But I we once got her like uh, this engraved calendar that, that puts in like every person in the family's like birthday you know her grandkids and her kids and everything and she didn't have it but she said the weirdest thing when we gave it to her she's like oh i love these i've given it to like 10 of my friends for their birthday oh wow <laughs> so i'm like which is weird because she didn't have one herself yeah so it wasn't like she unless she was just re-gifted like five of them or 10 of them <laughs> to her friends and she didn't really want it and she I was just putting on a show these, and other people get them now you know now that i think about it she probably had re-gifted like four of them <laughs> And then we bought a fifth one for her, and she had to keep it. (laughs) 
So Jerry wants to know, what was Tim Watley's reaction when you gave him the label maker? And she said, he said, oh, a label maker? How about that? And Jerry says, he repeated the name of the gift. That's a bad sign. That's terrible. That's the same as, oh, tube socks. It is an astute observation, right? Yeah, this is pretty Think about like you give your kid a gift or you give your your wife a gift or something. Mm -hmm. If you you gave them like an Xbox, they wouldn't say an Xbox, you know, like... uh, with with the you know the high pitched voice they would they'd be jumping up and down they'd say thank you oh my gosh you yeah. wouldn't get the name in there at all yeah well if I give my wife the Xbox I'd be like oh right an you, Xbox. then you'd get the Xbox right <laughs> <laughs> well the key is if you want the Xbox you give her the Xbox yeah <laughs> all right so Elaine has a plan she's gonna go up to Tim Watley's apartment and see if he still has the label maker how would she even find it. Yeah, right. It's possible it's there, but it's in a drawer like most people's label makers. Right. Maybe it's on a tape. Like, is she hoping he goes to sleep and she's going to just, like, filter through all of his drawers? <laughs> That's right. All right. So we see George now at the apartment of Bonnie's for the first time. He's super impressed with Bonnie's house. He loves the couch. It's a velvet couch. If it was socially acceptable, he would be ensconced in velvet, hardwood floors. He is absolutely loving it at Bonnie's. Yeah, Bonnie's about as neutral of a character as we've had on the whole show. Yeah. There really doesn't seem to be anything wrong with Bonnie. She doesn't have a character trait other than she lives with Scott. No character trait. She, it seems like all these guests, they need to be a low talker or a high talker or, you know, or the roommate is more attractive than them. They need one interesting thing about them, but they don't want to overload us with, you know, these characters who are going to be gone from our lives by the end of the episode. So, yeah, Bonnie is, is there's nothing other than like she's, you know, perfectly fine and George kind of likes her. Uh, there's nothing wrong with her. There's really, yeah, she's straight down the middle. Yeah, she's just generic replacement level Seinfeld girlfriend. <laughs> That's right. She's vanilla. <laughs> I love vanilla, but for most people, vanilla. Yeah. And so we meet her roommate, Scott, who happens to look a lot like George. Yes. And later on in the series, we have a character who like is George's twin, who I think looks more like George. But yeah, this guy is pretty close to a George double. He may have been George's stand in for all I know. Yeah. And George is uh, really surprised by this. He's like, oh, Scott's your roommate. And Bonnie says, no, I I mentioned him. Like, nope, you didn't mention him. And she says, uh, he's a great guy. You'll surely like him. I do like when people say like, oh, I mentioned that. And it's something that would be so important to you that, you know, they would mention it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I never said I had a boyfriend. Yeah, that's the thing. No, I would know if you said you had a boyfriend. Yes, we spent an extensive amount of time discussing that in terms of when George took out the waitress from Monks uh, with the manure. (laughs) And uh, she did not mention that she had a boyfriend until then. I believe that was in the, uh, what is it, the the soup? Yeah, it's the soup. The soup when, uh, when they have to go to Reggie's. Yeah. All right. So... Jerry and George are back in the diner. One, one of our favorite uh, moments always in every episode, Jerry and George back together at Monk's, and they're talking about the male roommate and how complicated this is. Now, Akiva, would this be a major turnoff for you? You know, it's really interesting. I, I think it would be a deal breaker for me. Really? I think so. Even if, it, even if there was no tension, even if the roommate had a boyfriend, even if the roommate was gay, I think it would be a deal breaker for me because what Jerry says is really true. Meaning at the end of the night, see, this is interesting, right? Because at the end of the night, she's coming home and she's going to tell the roommate how the day went. Like that's the, that's like Jerry says, that's her favorite person, which is a really smart observation. Now you could ask me, but she's going to do that if she has a girlfriend also. Mm-hmm. So then I'd say, I guess I'm just very insecure. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? 
You know what? Surprisingly, I don't think that this would bum me out as much as it bums out George to the point where he's really obsessed about it. And uh, I would say it doesn't seem like it. Now, if this was like a guy that seemed like he was like a hunky guy where sure. maybe that would that, that would bum me out more. I oh, think for at sure. that point. Um, but it, it doesn't seem to be any sort of sexual tension there at all. So oh, definitely not. I don't think this would get on my nerves too much. And listen, if something happened, it's almost like in these situations, like, well, it's for the better. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you dodged a bullet there that, you know, if she can't control herself around this roommate, that's not even some prize. Then it's, mm-hmm. uh, but it, but it's not, it's not the fear of, of them like hooking up. It's more just like you feel like a third wheel kind of, I don't know, but maybe I should be more open-minded. I have to think about this more. I, 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 we should be living in a post-roommate gender society. I'm not really contributing to that. Yeah. yeah. I used to have uh, a, a good friend from college, and then he ended up in some sort of like co-ed roommate situation with another girl that we mutually knew uh, through college or from college who actually was the ex-girlfriend of this other guy that we knew. Now, hold but, on. I'm getting a chart out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's not really important. There was a, a guy that I went to college with and there was this other girl that we went to college with and they ended up becoming roommates after college. Um, and they were both, they both had graduated and they were both lived near Syracuse and they were roommates together. And it just became like, it could go the other way too, where it just became so toxic <laughs> of a situation between the two people. Like if they don't end up hooking up, like chances are eventually they end up just like uh, really hating each other and it ends up being like a, a, you know, a very negative situation. Yeah. I mean, this is maybe like uh, beyond the scope of this conversation and this podcast right now, but like how often, like it's a fun idea, but if you're going to room this person for year two, like you get married, how many of your opposite gender or, or, you know, whatever, like, you know, opposite gender that you're attracted to friends, um, of yours, like how many female friends do you have from your, you know, high school and college and post college, uh, you know, uh, and you maybe are a, a bad example, right? Because you, right, you claim to have no male friends either, but right, like you know, it seems like it's rare. It seems like it's hard to pull off because what you need the you need your wife. To, you need to still get you know have stuff in common and get along with the girl. Then you need your wife to really like her because if she doesn't, the girl's out right away. Mm-hmm. And then when she you know, finds a fella, then you need him to really uh, like you. So there's just so many balls in the air. No pun. It's like, it's very hard to pull off. And I really believe in the inertia of relationships where, you know, you're in any given relationship. It's nothing is static. You're either moving closer together or you are moving further apart. And that is probably accelerated by, you know, the proximity of the, you know, you're around the person all the time you're either like liking them more and more and more or disliking them more and more and more. And if it's the thing where you're liking each other more and more and more, then again, eventually that will probably lead to some sort of like, uh, should we pursue this romantically? And then the other way around, you know, where you're living, you're in such close proximity, you end up, uh, you know, it's not going to work out. Right. And I would say if there's, if it's like a bigger room situation, like it's Manhattan and maybe there's like four bedrooms and there's four of you, two boys, two girls, that maybe is different than if it's just two of you. I think a big part of it is, is it a two bedroom, one bath or is it a two bedroom, two bath apartment? Yeah. And I just think when I watch this episode also, like I could never be the Scott. There's not a female on earth, including my wife, my three, my two daughters, my mother, my three sisters who would ever want to live with me. 
So <laughs> in the same house. So I can't imagine someone who isn't totally forced by being related to me ever wanting to live in the same house as me. <laughs> All right. So Jerry is also pretty dismissive of the idea of the male roommate. And uh, George says that the problem is the hardest part about having sex with a woman is getting her to come back to your place. He's already got this. And George just looks at Scott as somebody who is his competition. He's already got Bonnie at the apartment and he's just waiting to pounce here. So is that George's idea of marriage? Like, well, you already have the girl back at your place every day. That's half the battle. That's half the battle. And uh, Jerry implies, uh, says, well, maybe he's, uh, and George says, uh, you know, very confidently he's not. uh, And sticking with our football (laughs) analogies, he's an eligible receiver. Yeah. As far, I mean, I I guess George asked. I don't know how else he knows. (laughs) Seems like he knows. Anyway, so... And he had a lot of questions for Bonnie, I think. Maybe uh, he dr- drilled down in terms of that. Wait, but are you saying we didn't see all of his Bonnie questions? Because, you know, we, we kind of established that when we're not watching the characters, they're generally at work or sleeping. Mm, I think that like, that's maybe, a pretty key scene for them not to show us, Rob. I think that maybe once Scott comes in, George might say, uh, so, uh, Scott, you have a girlfriend? Like, I think he probably is going to and do some interrogating in that moment. Okay, so you mean he has Scott, so we don't need to see that. I, that. That's fair. Maybe. Anyway, so George says, look, he's probably getting that download from her after our dates, that he's the one that she's confiding in, and it's only a matter of time since they realize that, hey, we could be having sex. Uh, yeah, that, that might happen. Yeah. George says, in the wild or in captivity, you could just put two animals in the same cage and they'll reproduce. George knows a lot about science. <laughs> Again, I don't think that ne- that is necessarily the case. Like, maybe it's, it seems to be the case with George, where you put him in a room with a woman for long enough, and eventually uh, he will have sex. But I have not found this to be the case. <laughs> Proximity <laughs> is just the ultimate determining of who's hooking up. Well, for George, it is. You're right. If he's in an office, if he's you know, if he's under a desk, or you know, it, it doesn't matter. He, it's going to happen for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, the problem is that you know he's on the inside. And George is on the outside. Who do you think's in the better spot? Yeah, it's definitely Scott. I agree. And I like how they get themselves uh, so worked up of talking about this until finally uh, Jerry's like, we'll take the check, please. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, it's a little bit like the, the, you know, there's a lot of parallels to last week's episode. Yeah. To the switch where it's like they're just debating and, it, and it's just too much for that. <laughs> also, I really like this, how George brings up again, how if it was socially acceptable, he would be ensconced in velvet. And Jerry gives him like, OK, I've heard this. but I know, I know, I know. And George's like, what? I've told you this before. Like, yes, yeah, they're tired yes, of each yes. other's bits. Yeah. <laughs> Have we heard George talk about this on screen to Jerry before? I'm trying. I, I think he may have briefly mentioned Velvet once. You know what? The Key Velvet, the key velvet episode is coming in the doodle. In, right. Uh, in a you few know weeks. what I think it was? I think it was actually a deleted scene in when they were sh- in the Poppy Pea Couch episode. That okay. I think that George mentions it to Jerry in the department store. But it. I believe was a deleted scene, which no, now that sounds correct. Cause I was, I, I, I couldn't find it in any script that I, you know, was thinking of. Um, but yeah, the, the, the key, the key velvets coming up in about eight episodes, which uh, we've always had the question for Jerry, uh, Jerry and Larry are deleted scenes considered canon in your mind. Right. And in this case, it certainly seems as this one is right. But you could sort of, uh, argue it away here by saying 
that this is a bit George has been doing since the 10th grade. And we just happened to hear it that one time that was cut. But what about the dozens of times George mentioned it in college and high school and we just didn't hear it? Mm -hmm. But are you saying maybe that that deleted scene isn't canon, but the idea that George likes velvet is canon, if that's possible. Okay, but if he's talking about something that is canon in a deleted scene, does that just mean that that deleted scene was canon or does that imply that all deleted scenes are canon? Uh, No, I think I I don't even think that deleted scene is canon. I just think it's deleted scene doesn't mean that the opposite is true. You know what I mean? Scrap that deleted scene and the idea that he still likes velvet can still be the case based on a childhood of Jerry and George being together and listening to George talk about how much he likes velvet. Okay. We really need an expert opinion on this. Yeah. If there's any velvet experts out there, uh, we, we don't have a velvet correspondent. What about sure. deleted scene experts? Yeah, if we, that would be good. If we had someone who really knows. I feel like Johnny, Johnny DeSevera knows the deleted scenes pretty well. But if there's anyone out there. Who, Do they have uh, to be a, a Seinfeld deleted scene expert or just an expert in all deleted that, scenes? See, that would be an incredibly specific character. Yeah. <laughs> someone who loves like the. Uh, I think it was actually a character on Comedy Bang Bang a few weeks ago. Like a, a guy who loves like the DVD extras. I'm not sure if it was specifically deleted scenes. Like that was his obsession in life. Yeah. I mean, uh, but yeah, if general, there's someone who like knows all the DVD extras of every show, that would be incredibly helpful. Right. Because I don't know much about Friends, but if they could tell us like about the Friends deleted scenes, that would be good. Yeah, our deleted scenes typically canon if they were written in the script, but not shown on the air. Is that canon? Right. And if you think about it, like a live studio audience still sees the deleted scenes that we're seeing. They're still mm-hmm. left. Yeah. So well, it can't be unseen. <laughs> all right. So uh, we end up Kramer comes in. And he's saying, I saw Newman. He was talking to the super. He's trying to get the keys to your apartment. Yeah. And again, it's amazing how bad of a person Newman is. Mm -hmm. That like he not only will he not like be subtle and cheat. He is obsessed, basically. Like he needs to cheat at this game. Maybe it's because he's losing, but he is the least trustworthy person on earth. Newman. Did they have a bet about this game? Yeah. Like how badly, how competitive is he? He's just evil. Yeah. (laughs) So... Jerry does not seem super concerned that Newman is plotting to break into his apartment. No, because he knows he's not coming to steal stuff, mm-hmm. right? He knows that he's coming just for, uh, you know, just, just to mess up the risk board and probably jump out the window. <laughs> well, not if he has the key. Yeah, I guess that's true. But then what's happened? Someone's coming. Then he scurries out the bedroom. Yeah. All right. So we find out also that Kramer found out the Drake's wedding is off. The Drake found out that it was on the same day as the Super Bowl. He wanted to postpone it, and then he got into a big argument with uh, the Mrs. Drake, and now the whole relationship is off. And I could see this happening. I definitely know people for this could, you know, they could plan the wedding nine months in advance, maybe miss the Super Bowl week by one week, like the wrong week, and or mm-hmm. let's say it got postponed, you know, yeah, there was like, uh, you know, a terror attack, like in 2001, it got moved the week, so I'm sure that like messed up some weddings. Um, no, it actually didn't get moved, they just canceled the, the bye week, but let's just say, um, uh, what's it called? <laughs> The, the uh the i could say i could definitely see my wife and i having this conversation i would never schedule my wedding for the super bowl but i, I the argument seems very realistic to me yeah i think that you'd probably want to run that past the calendar now when did the drake's wedding get back on i feel like in the handicap spot we ended mm-hmm. up with the drake's wedding was off and they had the wedding gifts but what happened with uh, is this a new woman that the drake is marrying it's not clear right we don't know if it's allison the fiance or uh you know maybe they got back together or or it's a totally new woman i mean it is 2 years later so we could have you know fallen in love and 
you know, it seems like he's an easy breaker upper if, if this guy is, you know, breaking up again. He broke up in season four. And if this is at Allison, I feel like it's not meant to be. If you're breaking mm-hmm. up a, a, a fiance a second time, probably time to call it quits. Yeah. I'm looking on the Seinfeld wikia uh, about this. And so the mm-hmm. Drake appears in, uh, and really he appears in season four's The Handicap Spot. That's the episode where they go get the gift for him. And then he's in the pilot. And, but I feel like, is he back together with Allison at the end in the, in the pilot? I feel like he Do they is. show them together? Now, yeah, I, I, now I don't remember. I think they're watching the pilot. And yeah, I think like, you're oh, right. I, that, I sort sign. of remember that note in my head that they show them watching the pilot, which doesn't mean that this is Allison because, again, that's two years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it would lead you to believe that, you know, a year and a half, two years later, it is Allison and now they're breaking up for good. Uh, we don't again, we don't see the Drake here and we never see him again. Right. So this will really forever remain unknown. And it was an engagement gift for the drake and this is the ultimate wedding so i guess we should assume that it is allison but it does feel like that they have been engaged since season four here we are in season six you would think that they would have been getting married far enough out to know that super bowl was going to be there on that weekend sure and there are people who you know i should have the truth is i should have tweeted this question i didn't realize we'd really be hung up on this but, ooh, you follow Rick Overton, the Drake. Who knew? <laughs> Probably from the first time we talked about him. Um, yeah, I don't encourage these people. I never follow them. I just check out what they're, what they're talking about. So uh, he's got 8,000 followers, but I feel like he would have answered had I asked him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's pretty uh, embarrassing. I might have to make a fake account to ask that question, though. It's kind of an embarrassing question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've asked a couple writers recently. Like I've, I've like, you know, written at reply them or DM them questions, and I haven't gotten response, so. I'm beginning to think people think I'm crazy for asking these incredibly, you know, minutia, uh, you know, you know, minute details uh, about Seinfeld. Um, yeah, so I don't think we'll ever know. We could put it on the list, but again, it's about the Drake. Like, I don't think Jerry or Larry would even remember that. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, that being said, all right. So the wedding is off now. Jerry can go to the Super Bowl, but he can't just call Tim Watley and ask for the tickets back. No. And uh, I don't want to say the term, but Jerry almost used that term uh, he a couple seasons ago and got in <laughs> <He> trouble. <did. laughs> um, George says, well, there's a grace period. Uh, can a period have grace, Akiva? Uh, a tennis player could have grace. Tennis player can have grace. I don't think, I don't think a give back uh, a gift period can have grace. George is like making this up. <laughs> a period either has grace or doesn't have grace. It can't have a little grace period. Right. I, I think a period is inanimate, basically. So a person could have grace. I'm not sure if a, I mean, I guess a house could have grace. It could be like a graceful house. I think maybe. so. I don't know. I think so. Maybe a house has like pizzazz or class or something. I'm not sure. But a Super Bowl ticket cannot have grace. Uh, if it's in the first row, that's pretty graceful. <laughs> All right. So George says, hey, if Tim Watley can re-gift, why can't you de-gift? I mean, de-gifting is harder. You have to physically make them give the gift back. <laughs> Unless okay. you're like swiping it from their hand. That's difficult. <laughs> All right. So we're back in Jerry's apartment and uh, George is wondering, uh, hey, what's going on with this board game? Uh, Jerry has a pretty uh, funny line. He says, uh, it's risk. It's a game of world domination being played by two guys who can barely run their own lives. Yeah. Classic line. Bunch of really memorable lines in this episode. Yeah. We find out that Tim Watley has given the other ticket to Newman, his mailman. Who goes to the Super Bowl with their mailman? It's a good question that I believe is asked in the in this episode. But it's like how many download. It is nice to do something for 
you know, like a random person, like to give someone like a hundred dollar tip on a twenty dollar meal. Like, you know, it makes you feel good and it makes the person happy. But like, it is just such an absurd thing. Like, you have to have no friends. Yeah, Tim Wildley had a lot of friends at his party. This isn't like the Jets are two and thirteen. There have been times like I, I don't sell my Jets tickets, so if the Jets are really bad. I'll just give the tickets away. They're not, you know, they're my grandfather's, not mine. So it's not like I'm making money off them. So I'll just like post on Facebook. Does anybody want to go? So I would, in theory, offer the mailman the tickets. Then that would not be a problem. But the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. that's kind of a different story. <laughs> yeah. And so there was all those people at that party also that Tim Watley can't find anybody else to give the tickets to. Yeah, He's got friends. I mean, maybe they're dentists who can't just take off work on no minutes notice. The thing I, we learned that the postal system is very lax with with Newman's schedule. <laughs> Newman also, unless he's working out some kind of scam, has to pay for, I, I assume he's going to go with the cheapest hotel possible, yeah. like a hostel, but <laughs> he still has to get, you know, maybe he's flying like four stopovers, you know, on, on whatever Spirit Air was then, yeah. but it's still probably 150, no, Super Bowl weekend's probably still 300 something dollars. Right. Is there any sort of mail airplane that he could take down there? Oh, that's not bad. Maybe like a mail, like a mailman could get on the mail plane much easier. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if that's a thing. I don't know. We have any mailman. We need to find out more about. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, George, very quickly, uh, you know, you get the impression that he was just like uh, telling Jerry what he wants to hear because he says, ah, they're his tickets. Well, he could do what he wants with them, even though he was the person uh, you know, pushing him to like, hey, you've got a grace period. Yeah, there's no recourse there. They're in Wally's hands. Yeah. So George is going to go over to Bonnie's. He says that he's trying to find a way to switch places with that guy. He says this is like a Siegfried and Roy trick. They switch places a lot. I think they're like magicians. I think illusionists. I think that's sort of what they're going for. Okay. All right. So then uh, Newman tries to come in. There's a bit of physical comedy where Jerry's trying to force the door shut. Newman ends up squeezing in. He wants to uh, shoot the breeze, he says, but it's obvious he just wants to mess with the risk game. You know, I'm surprised that whenever someone does something like physical to Newman, he doesn't yell that it's like a federal offense. Because mm-hmm. like assaulting a mailman is a federal offense. <laughs> Granted, he's off duty, but who knows? Maybe Newman's on duty. We've seen how he works. He, like, leaves the mail around for days. <laughs> well, Newman tells Jerry, hey, if you uh, watch the Super Bowl, you'll see me. I'll be on the 40-yard line. Newman is so, he's, he's, I don't even know if the word is passive aggressive, but he's really great at, like, sneaking in these, like, little, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess he's passive aggressive. Yeah. And so uh, this is when Jerry finds out that Newman has the ticket, not when Tim Wiley was on the phone. I misspoke earlier, but we find out that, hey, this is my ticket. And uh, Newman says, well, you could save time and given it directly to me. Yeah. I, I mean, again, Wiley, he must have asked 100 people before Newman. <laughs> Maybe. All right. So now we end up seeing George back at Bonnie's house. And now he's starting to get all possessive about her. And she doesn't really get too turned off by this. He's asking a lot of questions. Wants to know about when you come out of the shower, how tightly do you cinch your robe? Uh, He wants to know what's the massage situation here. Yeah, I mean, uh, these are all good questions. I don't know if like they're appropriate for I don't know where the stage the relationship's at, but. And it's also saying, like, I don't trust you. But again, like you said, she doesn't care at all that he's asking. She's totally down the middle, like, Switzerland about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, I, they're, I fair, they're interesting questions. Yeah. And I would like to know the answer to some of them. <laughs> I guess so. Again, I think a lot of this is, comes down to, uh, if, is there only one bathroom? I think that uh, by this scene, I think that implies that there is. Uh, George says, I'll tell you what's wrong with this. You're a grown woman uh, with a male roommate. This is unnatural. It's an abomination. And then uh, Scott comes in. Scott, <laughs> and uh, he's going to go in the bathroom and take a shower. She says, "Okay, just throw my bras out of the way." And again, 
Um, we know how the Seinfeld men feel about seeing bras. It's very, very sexual for them. Yes. And, and it really uh, locks down the fact that there's one bathroom in this situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's like a half bathroom, but that's pretty even rare for like an Upper West Side apartment like that. Yeah. So we see Tim Watley and Elaine. They had gone out for coffee. And then Elaine says to Tim Watley, hey, aren't you going to invite me upstairs? And Tim Watley's like, you want to go upstairs? Uh, she's like, I would love to go upstairs. And he's like, boy, Elaine, you are something else. No one could put a label on you, huh? It's uh, a little bit forced, the label joke. Li- li- Don't you think this bit. is too innocent of Elaine? Like, Elaine knows what going upstairs means. Right. I mean, especially considering that she had a big crush on Tim Watley in the last Tim Watley episode, which ended up getting ruined by the fact that she couldn't hear anything. And then he was going to ask her out for New Year's. And then he didn't because that she said that uh, she wasn't interested because she couldn't hear. She thought he was asking, like, hey, do you want a chip or whatever? And so, I mean, here we are. It's only now, what, January, mid-January. They were going to go out for New Year's. Somehow she's also had dental work done by Tim Watley recently. So I don't know mm-hmm. why Elaine is so against the idea of going on a date with Tim Watley or, or at least, you know, pursuing this relationship. Yeah, it's interesting. And and there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of miscommunication. That's almost like their love language, miscommunication. Right. <laughs> Between Elaine and Wally. And it's, it's also interesting if you watch the inside look, Julia Louis-Dreyfus talks about how sick she was during this scene. Mm-hmm. So you could tell if you if you watch it closely, you could tell she's very red. And it's also cold outside. Or, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure when they're filming it, it's got to be winter already. Yeah. So it's, you know, they're, they're certainly dressed in winter clothes. Um, and you could tell she doesn't look great. And she has to kiss Wally uh, and Brian Cranston claims he got a cold uh, after after <laughs> yeah. the kiss. Well, they kiss in the second scene, but that actually where she's about to cry. I think that plays a lot better where. Yes. She's yeah, so that's, yeah, that's the scene they show. I, I actually didn't. It, you know, you'd have to. I mean, they shoot these in a very short span of time, so she's probably sick in both scenes. But uh, yeah, definitely in the second scene, she looks really red. OK, so we end up seeing uh, George and Jerry talking uh, the next day at the coffee shop. And again, they can't believe Tim Watley's going to the Super Bowl with Newman. He's his mailman who goes anywhere with Newman. George says, well, he's Mary. Would you classify Newman as being Mary? I think when he meets the right person as a first impression, he can be Mary. I understand what they're saying. Yeah, he's almost giddy sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets excited. It's usually about, you know, plots and schemes. But he can get he like there, you know, it's he, he does pretty well with the ladies. Like, I do think he has a little bit of charm the first time you meet him that wears <laughs> off for most people fast. I can see that. All right. So uh, we see now Elaine coming in. Hey, guess what? Uh, she's going to go to the Super Bowl with Tim Watley. And I think Elaine hates football. So that's a little surprising. Yeah. Well, she's there for the spectacle of it all. To uh, go down there for the 94 season finale between the Chargers and the 49ers. I mean, she's probably a Indianapolis Colts fan because she grew up in Baltimore uh, where the Colts were still. Knowing only, I can't believe that she would follow the Colts once they left Baltimore. I think that she would feel like you left Baltimore. You're dead to us. I think at this point uh, she would be very excited about the possibility of and the rumors of the Cleveland Browns coming to Baltimore. Right. Or what about right? The the Ravens uh, start playing the next year. Um, Yeah, I feel like she may have given up. But there's a weird number of Colts fans who grew up in Baltimore when it was really like a thriving American city who still 
root for the uh, Indianapolis Colts nowadays. Yeah, but I do not see Elaine as being one of them. I think. Yeah, you're probably right. Say, you're probably right. You know, she may not have us. cared to begin with, even. <laughs> right. So anyway, now Elaine has the other uh, Tim Watley ticket. Uh, and she says, yeah, it was totally out of the blue. She went upstairs to go to look for the label maker. Uh, and she didn't say she had to use the bathroom. She just said, hey, do you want to go upstairs? And both the guys are incredulous. Like, of course, don't you know what that means? Go upstairs. Yeah. And how lucky was she that, you know, that, that uh, he gets this call or how unlucky is uh, is Watley that yeah. he thinks that she's coming upstairs and that he has this like it's a dental emergency. I'm, I'm not knocking dentists, but what happens if you just don't answer your phone? Like, like let's say you were sleeping. I've, I mean, you know. Couldn't you say Elaine is unlucky, too? She said the last time we saw her, she had a big crush on Tim Watley. Yeah, but she thought she was going up there for something else. So this could have, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, this could have been, uh, you know, it, it could have been it could have been like a big situation. And again, everything that happens between them is just a huge misunderstanding. So I feel like nothing good could have come out of uh, whatever happened upstairs. OK. And Elaine says, oh, you mean just because I asked him to go upstairs, he thinks he's going downtown again. It seems odd that Elaine would not understand this shorthand. It's almost impossible, but maybe because she's sick, she's sort of out of it. And I think that's possible. But I don't think Elaine is sick. I think Julia Louis-Dreyfus is sick. Oh, so you're saying Elaine is not sick? I feel like it carries over a little bit. Maybe it was a line in the, in the script, but she forgot to say it. I don't think Elaine is sick. I don't think anything in the script implies that she's sick. And I don't think that part of that she might get Tim Watley sick. That's not part of the plot. I guess. I, I mean, I don't, I, now we're sort of like blurring the lines between what's real and fake. And my head is hurting. I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was pregnant at one point in the series. Elaine wasn't pregnant. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. But or I, was I mean, maybe she was. I don't know. We know. Uh, fine. I'm not going to go any further yeah. than that. <laughs> that being said, I think that... Elaine, you would think at least uh, might initially misspeak and say, hey, do you want to go upstairs? And, oh, Elaine, like uh, nobody could put a label on you. You would think that she might at least say, like, hold on, bucko. We're just going upstairs. Like, we're not going downtown also. Right. It's weird that she used the phrase downtown, which I don't think is is, uh, repeated again during the series or again in human history. Um, But I think... uh, um, I feel like it would mean it's something uh, something a little different, but sure. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I feel like as a general term, it's a weird expression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> someone, you know, someone who's singing, I'll try it in a bar. Tell us how it goes. <laughs> um, uh, I think that, uh, yeah, maybe she's just so focused on the mission. Like Elaine, we've seen and they, she wasn't included in the last mission. But like she's so focused when she's trying to, you know, seduce the boss and the revenge and things like that, right. that she's just not, not paying attention to what Watley's saying. Yeah. She has a, uh, a singular focus is really taking yes. her eye off the ball. All right. That's so Jerry says, I don't trust this guy. He regifted, he degifted, and now he's using an upstairs invite as a springboard to a Super Bowl sex romp. Yeah. But which by the way, would have been the greatest uh, television episode name of all time. <laughs> if they just called this the Super Bowl sex romp. Yeah. Huge numbers, Super Bowl type numbers, I think, for that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, how I don't know how much they played up the episode names, except for the channel, channel, channel fourteen, right? Mm-hmm. That like you'd see, like, oh, Seinfeld's on, and it's the Super Bowl sex romp. That I feel like the ratings would be up a tick. All right, so Jerry is heading into his apartment. Kramer stops him. He's been watching through the peephole, and uh, he is waiting to see what's going on. But Newman who I think is be acting very strange as he's breaking into Jerry's apartment. He's climbed down from the fire escape and he knocks over what a bunch of CDs. Yeah. And, and it's also, I, I like the peephole coming up here cause they're just saving it for, uh, 
Yeah, it's like Chekhov's people when Chekhov's they when they people. do the, rever- the reverse people in uh, season nine. <laughs> so they see that Newman has uh, been in the apartment, and then he runs up the fire escape and uh, runs out. A glancing shot of Jerry's bedroom, also. Yes, rare. You know, for them to be standing up in it, like he's in bed a lot, but for them to be standing up is rare. I, all the running uh, Wayne Knight does in this episode is fantastic. Also, yeah, they talk about that in the inside look and talk about how uh, light on his toes he is. Yeah, he is. He's kind of uh, uh, limber for a for a hefty guy. Yeah. All right. So we see Elaine and Tim Watley now in a cab, and Elaine tells Tim Watley how she has Super Bowl fever. So maybe she is sick. Oh, that's that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. And so she wants to know where they're staying. He says the ambassador, and she wants to know about the sleeping arrangements there. And Elaine wants to know: Are there going to be a couple of beds there? Are there going to be two beds there? So. Tim Watley is sort of getting the message here that Elaine is not into a Super Bowl sex romp. Right. I mean, and Watley really here. It's like even if he he should be maybe disappointed that Elaine is asking for two beds, but I don't think it's a deal breaker. I don't think, you know, they just started getting to know each other. Who knows? You go to you go to the Super Bowl and who knows what happens? I feel like take your chances, Watley. Mm -hmm. How is it better than just giving your ticket to Newman? (laughs) Right, right. I guess he feels like "Ah, if I have to go there and go be with Newman. Uh, maybe it's not even worth it yeah the two beds but i i feel like uh yeah the two beds is the you know what it's i don't know if it's a deal breaker mm-hmm. yeah well tim watley he is uh not into this anymore anyway so we end up with george going to bonnie's apartment he's brought a cactus uh and uh, he jokes that they don't need water you don't have to take it to the bathroom but we see that scott is packing up uh cardboard boxes scott is moving out yeah, so he really won the uh, face-off here, the, the George lookalike face-off. <laughs> he really did. But now who's paying Scott's half of the rent at this point? Is George on the hook for the other half of the rent? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, I think until he moves in, I'd say it's Bonnie. I feel like she likes him so much, she's willing to pay for it. The problem is that I don't think Bonnie is necessary. We don't know anything about her profession, but she might not be wealthy since she has no material belongings. Right. <laughs> But I like in theory, who George, of course, has no, you know, actual responsibility for it. He, it hasn't been established that he's moving in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bonnie is going to uh, be just alone in her apartment. Scott is moving out. So we end up seeing Jerry and George talking this uh, through. And uh, Jerry, as he likes to do, is uh, very quick to start restating to- the premise. <laughs> yes. Uh, say like the 30th straight episode where this scene has happened. Except this is in the apartment, not in Monks. Yeah. Wow, she just rearranged her whole life for you. Yeah. (laughs) I guess she did. Yeah. And George is realizing, I guess he's gone now and I'm the man. And uh, Jerry uh, points out that you unwittingly made a major commitment. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Who would have, you know, who would have thunk? I mean, again, George has no real responsibility. He could ditch her tomorrow. Right. And he's not a person with like a a great moral compass. So I don't know why he's so down about it, but what are you going to do? But for George, like he really did not think this through because this really was a great situation where assuming that there is not a physical part of the relationship going on here with uh, Scott and Bonnie, if Scott is just the guy who's in the friend zone, who is the person who is, you know, talking with Bonnie and sort of like, uh, you know, if for whatever reason, uh, you know, they have to grab dinner or whatever you know this is you know all well and good and george could be just coming in here as the closer 
Yes. Um, yeah. Again, George is better at thinking the sort of long-term ramifications of Jerry's problems or other people's problems than his own. Mm-hmm. Right. He wants to now, he's pitching complete games here. Yeah, but, uh, but not for himself. <laughs> yeah. So he's gonna, he wants to be a three down back. He's, you know, he could have just been the goal line back. Uh, That's coming true. In. You just get all the touchdowns. You could be the guy people draft in fantasy. Right. But, uh, so now, you know, inst- do- instead he's doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah, he's doing a lot of work between the 20s now at this point. That's right. He's a grinder. <laughs> he's a grinder. He's got to grind it out now. And so uh, Jerry said, you wanted to be ensconced in velvet? You're buried. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, this, this did not go well. Well, he wishes he was buried in velvet. The velvet's going, too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, George says he was shouldering half the load. Again, this, uh, I think this speaks very well to this uh, running back by committee approach. That's true. They were thunder and thunder, not thunder and lightning, because they're the same. <laughs> yeah. So this was a, uh, yeah, a really nice uh, change of pace going on. But now all of a sudden you took out the, uh, you know, the guy who was doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And now George has to do it all himself. Yeah, he's the, he's the uh, Brandon Jacobs and uh, Tiki Barber is gone. <laughs> all right. So now, and how'd that work out? Uh, Tiki Barber? Oh, and Brandon Jacobs. <laughs> Uh, it didn't work out well for either of them. Brandon Jacobs had like one good season when he got, uh, you know, getting all those touchdowns. Uh, yeah. yeah. I like Tiki Barber. Okay. And so we end up with George. He has to go, you know, pack up all these boxes. Jerry's like, here, take the label machine. I don't even want to see it anymore. Uh, yeah, this label really, uh, the, the label maker gets around. Mm-hmm. All right. And meanwhile, Kramer and Newman are playing their, uh, risk game and, uh, it's moving along. Newman, uh, you know, he's a little bummed out about the Super Bowl ticket. He hopes that Tim Watley's electric bill doesn't suddenly get lost. I mean, Newman controls the mail. He controls information. Yeah. All right. So Jerry and George are out on the street. Tim Watley comes up and uh, he says, hey, Jerry, just so you know, you could have your ticket back. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, this, he's, a, he's a re-gifter. And now he's like, this is almost like, uh, 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 what's the giving back your own thing? Is that ungifting? Is that, yeah. I don't know what it's even called. He ungifted a ticket. But don't you think it's bizarre that now Jerry's under the impression he's going to the Super Bowl with Tim Watley. They're both in Manhattan, but they're going there separately. I mean, doesn't it make sense that you would think that there would be some communication that when they fly down together? Yeah, I remember having this thought, you know, when this episode aired even, that it's weird that they wouldn't at least... Uh, you know, like talk about going to the game together yeah, or something. I'll meet right? you just at meeting. the game. Like, I'll meet you at our seats. At kickoff. I'm trying to think of like a scenario where, yeah, because if I'm going to a game with someone, even if even if I'm not like super close with them, I feel like we're going to go together if possible, just because it's like that's what you do. Right. It's not like, hey, I'll meet you, you know, at uh, MetLife Stadium after I get off work. <laughs> I mean, you're flying. Right. Down no, there usually go, not. Go to the Super Bowl. You would think at the very even if they didn't fly down there together, they say like, hey, uh, okay, let's meet up at 11 a.m. and head on over to Joe Robbie Stadium or wherever they were right. going. Yeah, they were going to Joe Robbie. But I think what, what also like they're only going for a night. I feel like it would be reasonable for them to share a hotel room, which we've seen Jerry's willing to do. It's only one bed. Well, you, I'm sure you could get a I guess it's tough to get a hotel. Uh, right. I guess, oh, so you're saying he has the ambassador. So now Jerry's got to find his own place to stay. I guess so. Well, what are they going to do? Get a cot? Yeah, I guess he's got, you know, he's, he's really out of luck. He's probably gonna have to sleep on like the, on right. some, on some cot or, right, or so share, how about share the bed with Wally. So Jerry didn't get a hotel room. 
He's staying down in Del Boca Vista. Gonna oh, see yeah, his parents. Oh, yeah, good point. That's, a, that's like an hour drive. Yeah. Right, it's an hour drive. Watley's coming in from the ambassador. Jerry's just going to drive straight to the game. And I'm done not thinking of that because I've done that too. I've just gone to Florida for events like that and just stayed by my mother-in-law. So. Mm-hmm. All yeah, right. That makes sense. <laughs> All right, so uh, Tim Wiley says, look, things with Elaine didn't work out like I thought they would. And then we see that Kramer's car is being towed. I like that Jerry screams out, hey, Cosmo! Yeah, it is, it is a, a fun callback to last uh, week. I think, uh, is this, a, I'm not a big car guy, but is this like the eighth different car Kramer's had? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> all right, so Kramer comes running out with the board. Amazingly, I, I don't think this is possible at all. I think they must have had to glue these pieces down. Uh, no way. Well, do you Kramer. think the show glued it down, or do you think Kramer and Newman are so uptight that they glued the pieces down? I think down the show had point? to. I don't think there's any possible what if, way. What if Kramer, what if Kramer and Newman went so nuts that they were like, the only way to do this is if we could glue it down and like mark every piece? Mm, I guess so, but that doesn't seem like they're talking about that in this episode. No, no. I, yeah, well, they would have mentioned it. it doesn't, right. If it didn't happen, then on screen it didn't happen. <laughs> right. Unless you had like some like Velcro version of risk that, that, that would help, but Still, you can move the pieces around, but there's just no way you could carry the board the way that Michael Richards is carrying the board no. and not lose all the No, pieces. he's running at full speed with a, with a board of tiny pieces. <laughs> right. Even that, like, the pieces would jostle and move from one, sure. one country to the next. Like, it would there be, was definitely jostling going on. Yeah, you'd be better off just leaving it with Newman. No, I don't know about that. I, I just leave it on the table. Newman, come with me. Yeah, drag him out of there. Right. I mean, if Newman is with him, what was the danger? It, it was it was a bang bang play though. You really have to big plot hole. You really have to run out of there. You need Newman's slow. He's not trustworthy. It's not, it's not going to happen. <laughs> all right. So we go back to Bonnie's apartment, and George walks in. All the stuff is gone. Yeah, it was all Scott's. <laughs> it was all Scott's stuff. So um, you know, and this is a thing. You know, usually in a roommate situation, one roommate owns you know majority of the furniture. It's probably usually one room that owns 100% or 90% of the furniture. Right. And so, one of them is a slacker, and the other one, if it was me, it would always be I was the guy who owned nothing. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the other person had brought the TV, the couch, whatever. All right. So this is a pretty iconic scene in this episode of Newman and Kramer on the subway. They are playing Risk, and it really looks as though from the look of the game board that Kramer's forces have completely surrounded Newman's forces, remaining forces, his armies, which are now located in the Ukraine. There is not a game of risk that is played by a Seinfeld watcher in which this dialogue is not spoken. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, rounders, uh, you know, in poker right after rounders became big. The people would quote all the dumb lines like don't splash the pot and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I will just, like, slow play whenever I want and stuff. Mm-hmm. The, um, uh, yeah, so any game of risk in the last 30 years has has had a you know a terrible ukraine joke right and so kramer is talking about you know the the ukraine the ukraine is feeble uh it, the ukraine is weak uh it's time to put the hurt on the ukraine and uh the big ukrainian guy uh says i come from ukraine you say ukraine weak uh, and they're like hey we're just playing a game here and then he just smashes the board in half <laughs> Yeah, well, definitely the most famous line of the episode. Really, a, a very famous Seinfeld line. Um, probably the most famous. Uh, probably the most famous uh, thing with the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. One of the most, like the, maybe the reason the Ukraine is most well known in, in the United States, like to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I know they were in the news last year, but I think in general, it's like the first thing. The only things people know about the Ukraine are like that it's called a week in Seinfeld. 
And for some reason, we put the word the in front of it, even though I'm not quite sure why. Yeah. I'm trying to look if I'm Googling Ukraine and I'm seeing if anything about Risk or Seinfeld is on the front page of the Google search results. <laughs> it does not appear to be so. So maybe this is, uh, it's not even searches Well, they're known, the Ukraine. country itself is known for their SEO. So I feel like they bumped Seinfeld mm. down to the second or third page. Do you think that the word Seinfeld appears on the Ukraine Wikipedia page if I do a search of it? Oh yeah, I'm sure it's if there's if there's a Seinfeld and if there's a Ukraine and pop culture segment, which a lot of large Wikipedia section you know mm-hmm. pages have, it's very possible. Okay, uh, it's possible that they don't, but I think it, maybe it got scrapped. But I think it would be on there. So you say yes? Uh, gun to my head, I think yeah. No, it does not appear to be at all on the. How do you know? It's a huge, probably a huge page because there is a feature in many internet browsers called Find. And I oh. can type the word Seinfeld in, and oh, it will let me you. know. Mr. Fancy Pants. <laughs> I thought you were a researcher. I am. I am. But I, I, I've never searched on Wikipedia for something like that. I don't use, I'm a researcher. I don't use Wikipedia as my, <laughs> as my primary source. I'm a teacher, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the word Seinfeld. I mean, I would have, when Wikipedia came out and I was a teacher, like, kids would literally hand in reports that were just copied and pasted. Like, they'd leave the sections in. They didn't realize yet that, like, how big, you know. Mm-hmm. That you know, teachers would just catch them on that. They thought they were more tech savvy than yes, than, probably some of them they were, but not 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 uh, a young fellow like myself at the, at that time. But yeah, it was a lot of a lot of Wikipedia copying and pasting. If one of our listeners is so inclined, uh, I think that I, I see no reason why uh, they could not feel free to edit the Seinfeld uh, <laughs> information. Into- yeah, I feel like it might stay in there. Yeah, Mike Bloom, get on. I feel like that's got a good chance to to stick. Uh, Ukraine uh, media. There's a section. I feel like uh, there could be some mention of uh, famously. I feel like it keeps getting put on and they put it off. It's like Kazakhstan with uh, Bora. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, the board gets uh, smashed in half. Uh, I think they might have cut the board in half before the guy smashed it because I don't think there's any way that uh, the, that board sm- splits in two based on the way he hit it. Yeah. Thus ending the last game of Risk played in human history. <laughs> on the subway, at least. Yeah. Uh, Probably in general. I have, like, when was the last time someone played a game of Risk? Uh, at least uh, 2013, from my recollection. No, nah, I'm kidding. Okay, but I, 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 you could probably play it online now also. Yeah, I think so. You could both be on your smartphone and sort of pause the game. All probably right. even a dumb phone by this point. <laughs> All right, so we see now Tim Watley is approaching his building, and Elaine is standing right there, and she says, Hey, don't worry. I didn't come to yell at you. I just came by to pick up my label maker. Uh, yeah, she, you know, it's a, it's, uh, I don't know. I like, he's not expecting her and I guess we get the answer to whether or not he still has the label maker. Right. And he does not. And uh, he's like, but you gave it to me, but you gave me a ticket to the Super Bowl. And then, uh, she knew it, but then there's sort of like an emotional scene. And again, this plays well for me, I think, because I guess cause she's sick and she's already so nasally. Uh, but she's saying that like, uh, you know, I got you a gift because you were so nice to me. Because you didn't charge me for the dental work. And the way you worked on my filling, you were gentle and caring and sensitive. And then they kiss. And that's when Brian Cranston gets uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's cult. Yeah. Although anytime actors tell a story, it's apocryphal, especially like 10 years later. Okay. So actors like are paid to be pretenders and liars. So they're generally used liars. <laughs> I do have to say also watching Cranston in the Seinfeld episodes. Again, that uh, it's a very hunky Cranston. Yeah, he looks good. He's still like very young looking, but he looks cooler than he did, the, you know, where we know him from Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Uh, but it's also he's like 
almost wowed by the situation because it's like he's part of this huge thing. And he happens to be supposedly a really like nice guy who's probably appreciative because it happened so much later in his career of mm. the fact that he became this like super iconic, you know, Oscar nominated guy who was also on one of the biggest television shows ever. Uh, but it's like here and that you almost feel it in these del- in like you couldn't get a guy like him now to do like who was in four episodes of Seinfeld or five episodes of Seinfeld to sit down for the DVDs, you know? Right. Because the DVDs, I think they filmed most of this stuff. No, I like, know. I'm saying but you couldn't get a guy of his stature. now. I mean, you could probably get him because I think he does things like that. Like he's been in a lot of like very small things like he'll do like small podcasts of random things just because he's a nice guy. And if you could ask him, he'll probably say yes. But he's almost like happy to be there at this point. He's at a point of his career where it's like. Yeah, that was probably one of my highlights. I was on Seinfeld for five episodes. Yeah. And so, yeah, he seems like he's the best guy ever. Oh, yeah. I've never heard a bad word about him. Yeah. Okay. And maybe that means he's just a really good actor. And he put up with Aaron Paul for like six years. That's guy, he's got to be a saint. <laughs> what, Aaron Paul's a pain in the ass? No, I'm, I, no, I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think he's a lot, probably. <laughs> a lot to handle? He's a lot to handle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so then we end up seeing a quick shot of, uh, the inside of the mail truck, uh, where the labels have fallen off that, uh, I think I forgot to mention that, uh, Tim Watley talked about how the label maker sucks, that all the labels fall off things. So does that make it better or worse that he regifted it? That knowing that it doesn't work and he's already used it. I think it makes it worse. It also looks really weird in terms of like we see the labels peeling off, but it looks like the labels ended up getting glued on there. So maybe it was a case of that the labels suck. They don't stick to anything. They had to glue them on there and the glue also that they had sucked. Maybe it's the same glue from, uh, you know, we'll see at the end of season seven. Yeah, maybe. Okay. So we end up seeing now uh, a shot in the football stadium, Jerry's walking to his seats and ends up seeing Newman. Uh, yeah, and it's a nightmare scenario where he's between Newman and a guy who's like twice Newman's size. <laughs> yeah. And so Newman says, yeah, Tim Watley couldn't make it. He's in love. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And so then uh, we go back to George in Bonnie's apartment and they have like this little tiny TV and they're going to sit on some towels and uh, Scott's going to come by. He can't track down his boxes George has to come up with some way out of this scene. Yeah, and it's truly one of the saddest Super Bowl parties of all time that's about to happen. Yeah, they don't even have some guac, some chips, anything. I mean, is she basically, like, destitute? I don't understand. I don't know. I think she just relied on Scott for everything. Yeah, probably. She's, she's just not a grown-up. She, yeah, she's just, like, kind of a baby who's never lived on her, her own. <laughs> and so... George ends up trying to come up with a way out of this. And he says to Bonnie, one of the great Seinfeld callbacks, I think, going back to last week's episode, he says, I'm not sure how you pronounce it or anything, but I believe it's menage a trois. And uh, Bonnie's like, what? And then when Scott enters, she says, uh, hey, remember what we talked about the other day? George is into it. Yeah, really a great sort of ending to this story. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 it took really a lot of guts for the writers mm-hmm. to basically end two straight episodes with the same exact plot device, just, you know, used in the opposite way. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, you could say it's like an easy way out, but I give them a lot of credit. No, I think it's brilliant. I think it's yeah, brilliant. It uh, I do think that <laughs> the shot of like the POV shot of George yeah. um, at the end, I think uh, I, I'm not sure how that holds up. I agree. I agree. It's like. 
Because it's almost, are you saying it's homophobic? Because I would co-sign that. Yeah, it feels like it almost ends like it's a horror movie. Like Scott is moving in to kiss him. Sure. And where it's it like, oh my from. God, a boy's going to kiss me. It's like, uh, yeah, it's, I agree. It is. It doesn't hold up. It couldn't be the ending to the episode. Now, uh, I could understand. I think a lot of people wouldn't be interested in it, but I feel like there's more reasonable, mature ways to get out of it. But again, it's a comedy show and it's 1995. Right. I think that probably the, you know, the joke can end on like, no, 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 no. That's misunderstanding. That's not actually what I want as opposed to sort of like, uh, you know, like screaming, like horrified, uh, like, uh, like, don't, like, don't, don't kiss me, Scott. Uh, I think that, but it's still a brilliant way to end the episode. Uh, I, I, I would have directed that final moment differently. Yes, but only only with the hindsight oh, right, of right, 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 twenty right, years right, of progress. Right, <laughs> and then uh, the final scenes uh, we see Jerry Newman back at the Super Bowl, and Newman talks about the great luck that he's having, about how, uh, in addition to the Super Bowl tickets, uh, he didn't have to lose at risk to Kramer, and then he also uh, got all of Scott's stuff because uh, the labels weren't on it. Doesn't it still count as a loss? Like if you're down like fifty nothing in a game, and it's oh, and it's like gets called with two minutes left. You, the other person has the knowledge that they destroyed you, even if it's not official. Well, I think that this is kind of like a thing that happens in PlayStation-type uh, Madden oh. and things like that. Well, did you ever do that, or do you ever have a friend that did that? Like, whoops, accidentally touched the reset button when I was down 34-10 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it happens. And I think also people like that they do it like these online gaming things because, oh, I don't want this loss to be on my record, so they'll just like turn off their Xbox before the end of the game. Yeah, that happened. I play one online game and it happens to me all the time. Yeah, I don't think you can do it. I think they've done taken some steps to clean up the online yeah, I'll get gaming. The, I, you get the points in the game I play, Dominion, you get the points for the win, but it's still frustrating. Like you play for however long and then they just quit when they realize they're not going to win. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, I feel like I wasted my time. You, you know, even though you get these points, like ultimately the points are pretend. They don't do, you know, it, it's the point of the game is to play and have fun. Yeah. I believe the San Diego Chargers attempted to do this in that 94 Super Bowl. And yes, then, uh, that's true. Yeah. They sh- they sh- it was Pete like it's what the Niners did against the Ravens. Right. They, they, they said, they like, the <laughs> like, hey, no, you have to finish the game. You can't just walk away. <laughs> uh, what would happen if, in the Super Bowl if it was like 38 to 10 <laughs> in the third off. quarter and then the lights go out? <laughs> All right. Uh, so, again, I feel like we're on such a roll here these last couple of weeks with these Seinfeld episodes that we've talked about. Another really strong episode. Yeah, none of them are, like, really considered, like, Pantheon episodes, but uh, all of them, like, very solid, uh, underrated episodes. Yeah, I feel Season like- six really moving up. And, you know, we're halfway through season six now with 12 out of 24 and uh, really moving up in my uh, mental rankings. Really, really strong. Uh, these last couple episodes. All right. So, Akiva, in terms of things that would not hold up, do you want to talk about the logistics of moving a Super Bowl ticket in 2016 versus January of 1995? Yeah, I feel like he probably would have sold it on Craigslist. If you want to say he's like a wealthy celebrity and maybe he's not allowed to sell it because the person who gave it to him could get in trouble, I would buy that. So maybe you still do have to give it away, but that would be very simple because if you post it on a Facebook page or on Twitter, it would get snatched up in two seconds. You couldn't stub hub it? He could, but I don't think he's willing to sell it. Okay. You know what I mean? Like he got it for free and he's rich. So I, it, I, it, it might be like beneath him or it might be a ticket that's remember when Mike Tice, the coach of the Vikings, <laughs> a team that I uh, uh, ostensibly hate. Right. Um, that it's gotten like almost fired for selling his Super Bowl tickets and he was running a ring of Super Bowl tickets selling. So I think the tickets that come from the league, you're not allowed to sell. Was he also on the sex boat or he came in after the sex? Boat? No, no, I think uh, he, he was not on the sex boat. <laughs> 
I think uh, I think um, he was just the coach then. Okay, I think it was Fred Smoot. But that was some, on his watch. They had the. Sex I think it was boat. on his watch. Yeah, I think. Ch- Chester could be our sex boat correspondent <laughs> for next week. He he would delight in writing us a long email about that. Sure. <laughs> I believe uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it on the sex boat, but I believe it might have been called. Uh, the uh, they might they might have been talking about uh, some things that we've talked about the last couple episodes. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, what about uh, the risk game? How would that be different here in 2016? I feel like it would be it would be first of all some like war of I don't I don't I'm going to sound really dumb because I don't know the names of the popular games now, but it would be some online shooting game or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that, like it would be like Newman keeps shooting me and, you know, in World of Warcraft or whatever. I really don't know. what. So either play. the game would be played on some sort of digital device or two, you could have just taken an iPhone picture of the board. And oh, just yeah, of course. Away. Yes. You could take take pictures to, to, you know, you don't even have to if I don't know how many pieces if it's like 500 pieces, you probably can't do this. But if it's only like 50 pieces, you could even like clean up the game as long as you took a picture and then put the pieces back on where they belong. What about regifting, degifting? Is there anything in terms of giving the gift to Tim Watley? Would Elaine be able to track that any easier in 2016? I mean, I don't know. It, like, it depends on how receipts come into question because a lot of times you give, maybe do you give a gift with a receipt if it's yeah, like a gift cheap re- gift like that? Right. Oh, do you have a gift receipt? I, I guess. So gift- then it's like they could just return it if they don't like it. Like he doesn't like this gift. He could bring it back to like Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever. Right. Like could Jerry say, hey, this thing you gave me isn't working do you have the receipt so I could take it back? And it's a little tacky, but if you're bit. close with someone, you could probably do that. Right. And he's like, oh, yeah, I lost it. I didn't hold on to it. Okay. Anything else from this episode before we get into letter grades? Um, no, I mean, I think that's, you know, there's a lot of things like that that uh, I don't know if anybody still buys cactuses. <laughs> right. I think also George could have done some due diligence uh, on Bonnie's Facebook page. Sure, and in Scott's Facebook page, see what he's up to. See what he's up to. So Maybe he's up to some freaky stuff, and that's like a sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a sign to maybe not throw out the menage a trois at the end of the episode? Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's talk about uh, our, our letter grades for each thing. Okay, uh, Jerry's storyline here with the Super Bowl. Um, I mean, I'll give it a B. I feel like it, it's fun to go to the Super Bowl as a sitcom. It's probably, probably rare, sort of ground to tread. And, you know, and they're, and they're sort of like operating in real life more than any other show was willing to do. Um, but uh, there's no huge home run just from Jerry here. So I'm giving it a B. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think that you don't really remember, at least from uh, the title of the episode, uh, that that's where this all goes to where, where, you know, Jerry's trying to get to the Super Bowl or has Super Bowl tickets. So uh, I'll say, sure, uh, that's fine for a B. What about George? Yeah, it's you know, it really pays off at the end. You know, the Bonnie thing, it kind of like there's nothing memorable about Bonnie or Scott at all. But then that so you're really relying on the home run to end the episode. Mm-hmm. But I will give it an A just because it's a home run. Yeah, no qualms there. OK, what about Elaine? And the uh, chase of the label Baby Junior. Nothing really going on. I'll give it a C. It's not a bad, it's not like some dud subplot. It's not boring. There's just no great laugh in it. I'll say it's a B. I feel like that the words label Baby Junior have been branded into my brain for a good uh, 21 years at this point. So um, I have no issue with that. Okay. And then what about Kramer and Risk? I feel like you have to give it an A just because... Uh, the idea is funny. There's not like a, a ton of great moments, but then again, how it ends with Ukraine is weak. 
is such an iconic moment iconic. that you have to you Kramer plus Newman here. They kind of have to be uh, pulled together, but it's a, it's an A. All right. So I guess in terms of trying to predict where you're going to go with this, I, I'm wondering, is this a top 50 episode for Akiva? I feel like uh, I'm, if I had to guess, I feel like somewhere between 40 and 50 in your rankings. No, it's not that high. And oh. maybe maybe I, I killed it just because. Uh, I mean, the truth is maybe I'm a little lower on it than I should be because it, uh, it, there are some iconic moments, but I don't, I I think as a whole, the episode is fine. It's just one of these like solid, but not spectacular episodes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think a lot, like a lot of people wrote in love this episode. I do think much people, most people are much higher on it than I am, but I have the label maker at 92. 92. Uh, that seems low. Yeah. I know most people will disagree, but, uh, okay. Anyway, fun, a fun episode uh, to discuss, of course. Also fun to discuss every week are your emails, Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Don't forget to get in your 100th episode emails as well, Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. And uh, we got a, uh, a good slew of emails uh, once again from you guys. So uh, let's jump right in. All right, let's start with Dan, the great benefactor of the Seinfeld podcast, uh, raising so much money for charity with these supersized podcasts. The discussion surrounding risk does bring up an important question. Who would be the better leader of the world, Newman or Kramer? Though Newman is evil, I feel like he would want to maintain stability to ensure his reign continued. Kramer doesn't care about stability and would be constantly be trying schemes of uh, one kind or another which eventually will backfire on a global scale, could get messy. It's a tough decision, but I think that Newman is the better choice. Boy, uh, if only there was some sort of like broad scale sort of (laughs) debate happening at this very moment about uh, who would be the better leader, some sort of a totalitarian dictator, or maybe (laughs) Somebody who some might accuse of being uh, incredibly way too leftist and uh, have some sort of far-fetched schemes that they may want to try to implement. Yeah. So um, I don't, did you have any dreams about this question? <laughs> no, I did not. Newman. It happens to be a great question. Uh, but my first question to Dan would be, is this dictator of the world, like he's saying, or is this just president of the United States? I believe leader of the world, uh, as was mentioned in the episode. Yeah. So it's a very good question. Uh I asked uh, Chester, and he ranked how they would fare as world leaders based on everyone who's been in at least 10 episodes, so 17 characters. Uh, do you care? You want to guess who would be the worst of every Seinfeld character? According to Chester, I guess. And According to Chester. He is a, uh, a presidential buff, right? Sure. Hmm. Of the 17 characters uh, that have been in 10 episodes. Well, I, you know, I don't know the list of all of the characters. That oh, have but been- think, of like the, think of like the big four or eight, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, think of the big four plus the Seinfeld and Costanza families. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank Costanza? I, I, you know, I feel like he has Frank at 11, which is way too high. Frank should be near the bottom. Uh, he thinks George is the worst. In my opinion, Uncle Leo would be by far the worst. Mm, yeah, I think Uncle so. Leo would be, it would be chaos. People would be bringing books into the bathroom. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, first, I think he would appoint Cousin Jeffrey to be like Secretary of Agriculture because he mm-hmm. loves parks. Right. But eventually he'd become like Secretary of State. Thank you. And if like... If you're sending Cousin Jeffrey to meet Putin, I feel like we're in big trouble. It's a great question, and it's one that we've really discussed a lot on the House of Cards podcast of what is worse, somebody who is inept or somebody who is corrupt. And I think that where somebody who's inept 
just like the inmates are running the asylum. You know, it's, it's really just anarchy. Whereas somebody who's corrupt, there's order, but it's to some nefarious purpose. But at least there's the appearance of, you know, things are running as they should be to some degree. Yeah, and what's interesting, without getting too political, is if you're just the president of the United States, the powers can be limited to an extent where if you have very low expectations and you hire a couple of decent people in the right positions, like, you know, uh, Secretary of the Treasury and Secretary of Defense, you know, you have the army in, in place and you have the financial system in place. Like, there's only – a president can screw up, but it's sort of limited. Like, he won't screw up the country, like, irrevocably if, if, like, uh, if he has small eyes. But if you are a dictator type and you're trying to grab power and you're trying to make, you know, sort of big moves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then obviously then the, the, uh, your basement for how bad you could be is very low. So who did Chester have ranked as number one? So number one, he has Susan, which I think is not a bad choice. She's very stoic. Yeah. You know, she's very... <laughs> she has poor choices in men, I feel like. A bad choice in men, but listen, I, I, th- our next president might have bad choices in men. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me see. Give me the top five. Okay, so he's got Susan, Mr. Lippman. Mr. Lippman. Yeah. He's got Mr. Peterman, who I, he's a little too goofy. George Steinbrenner, who I think would have been an interesting president. A little Trumpy, if you ask me. <laughs> and Morty Seinfeld, who I feel like he would have reduced the budget to like $50 for the whole country, <laughs> Morty Seinfeld. I think Elaine, and it's funny because she plays, I don't know if she's become president on Veep because I didn't watch the last season. Yeah. I think she maybe has, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. But I think Elaine would be a pretty decent president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could I could see that. I mean, uh, that uh, she does uh, might ha- have uh, political views which resonate with the entire world, um, and she feels strongly about those views. So, um, it's an interesting question. Interesting question. Yeah, it is a good question. Also, uh, I, I, Helen is pretty stoic. She wouldn't be bad either. Helen Seinfeld <laughs> seems like stoicism is a, uh, a really important trait for you and for Chester. That's fine. Well, I think the I, I don't again. I think the current president is 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 like a stoic type of guy. So mm-hmm. maybe it's just on my mind. Okay. All right. Uh, let's uh, get into uh, what does Johnny De Silvera have to say? All right. So he says uh, Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer mentioned in the commentary that the CFL sent a crate of CFL gear after this episode <laughs> because they were so on. I'm sure that stuff goes in the garbage. <laughs> right. He, he asked, "Do we have any idea who the Drake is marrying?" We we answered that. Why couldn't George just break up with Bonnie? Why, why does he have to go through the whole charade? George doesn't have any morals. We ask this a lot about George, right? Like he will go through these crazy lengths when ultimately he only cares about himself. So why not just rip off the Band-Aid? Well, I think that he loves the apartment. I think the, the apartment is so great. The but it's gone. Is so it's great. Once, once the furniture is gone, the apartment is just an empty space. Well, I think that at that point that she has turned her life upside down where it would be hard for him to just say, you know what? I'm not comfortable with this anymore. You don't have furniture. It, we're through. Um, he wants to know if we run more like Kramer or more like Newman. I think I waddle more like Newman at this point. <laughs> Probably. I feel like you're built more like a Kramer. Probably. Uh, and then he says, moving forward, uh, when we get up to the 100th episode, can I rank uh, the top 10 uh, cultural influences that Seinfeld has had on the world and pop culture? Okay. Well, that, that would be a big undertaking. Are you up for that? Yeah, maybe. I, people have already sent me a bunch of like top ten type lists where I mean, I have to like I'm going to lose them all. I sort of have to make a like a you know a list now or I'm, a spreadsheet now or I'm going I'm to forget them all. But it's only from the first hundred episodes. Yeah, I, I feel, once I'm doing it, I feel like I got to go all one eighty. Yeah, okay. Because um, it's such an incomplete list. It's like who cares if it's just the first hundred? Okay. 
Craig from Vancouver says, uh, this episode contains one of my favorite lines in all Seinfeld when Jerry says that Kramer doesn't want the Super Bowl tickets because he's only interested in Canadian football. Again, this is Craig from Vancouver, uh, mind you. This was in the middle of the brief period of Canadian football's American expansion. Yeah, people forget that that the CFL had like teams in Baltimore and oh, I, didn't I forget where else for a few years. That's kind of crazy. San Antonio, I think. Yeah. So Kramer stuck with it after all the American teams folded a year later. Uh, that'd be interesting to know. Okay. If he was a Baltimore fan, I hope he enjoyed them getting kicked in the butt by my BC Lions in the 94 Grey Cup. Still waiting for the CFL 32 fans in 32 days of podcast. By Are there 32 CFL teams? No, I think there's eight. Okay. And two of them have the same nickname, which all, all, you know, makes the league irrelevant to start. I feel like eight, like eight teams and two of them have a name like the Lions or something like that. I feel like eight teams in eight days. I feel like you could bang that out pretty quick, though. Sure, but I, I feel like I'd need... I, I don't mind podcasting for free, but I feel like for the CFL, I'm getting paid or I'm not showing up. They'll send CFL gear to you if you mention them. That's true. I don't need, I don't think I have a Toronto Organauts hat from when I went to Toronto when I was like seven years old, but I don't think I need any more CFL gear. Okay. Uh, also about the devil's three way. <laughs> Craig wants to know, did George end up having it? This is the thing George should have confessed when the plane was going down in the finale. Uh, that is a term, the devil's three way. I've also heard of it as the devil's triangle there. Uh, do you think, how do you anticipate or imagine this ultimately ended up working out? He either started crying or he ran out of the room. It didn't happen. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that George uh, escaped that scenario. I think that he probably folded under the pressure and either came up with a bigger lie or it was like, uh, like uh, I couldn't go through with it. I just said it because like, you have no furniture. I just wanted <laughs> to get out of here. Yeah, he came clean possibly. Yeah, it's possible. I think so. All right. Liz wants to know, first of all, she loves how they tie the stories together. We love that, too. She says, it's interesting that Elaine wanted two different beds in Miami. I guess she didn't appreciate that the dentist was, like, presumptive enough to sort of make. Like, if it was, let's say, Watley says to Elaine, hey, do you want one bed or two? Then maybe she's like, eh, one is okay, whatever you want. But the fact that he was kind of like a creeper and did it himself, maybe that's what she didn't like, right? Well, Jessica also builds on this and says that I had a hard time getting past the scene in the cab where Elaine was being so awkward and prudish towards Watley about sharing a hotel room with him. I could kind of understand if her hesitation was related to the implied quid pro quo, uh, but I couldn't because this is Elaine who's always been portrayed as a woman entirely comfortable and unapologetic about her sexuality. Plus she doesn't want to have sex with him. This is a guy she's been pursuing for a while, only with middling success. And suddenly, when the perfect circumstances present themselves, she totally uh, pulls a 180 and shuts him down. I get they needed Elaine to convey some sort of anger or apprehension in light of the label baby junior, but it came across as supremely lazy to subject her to drastic and noticeable deviation from her character in order to achieve something so inconsequential. Yeah, I mean, don't you think Elaine in general is the most inconsistent character? They sort of mold her like Kramer always has wacky schemes. Jerry's sort of straight down the middle and George is kind of like evil and Newman is super evil. Elaine sort of is molded to whatever's going on. She can be above the fray or she could be, you know, just as bad as all of them. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. I think that, you know, she got really upset. I think about it It was uh, the point of it all. I think it's just about, you know, the that he assumed that he was going downtown. Okay, what about Lindsay Akiva? 
Lindsay says, uh, first, she uh, she thinks that I don't want to be a pirate. I don't want to be a pirate is the best I don't want to. But she likes I don't want to be Switzerland. She asks. Could be another have, list for Akiva. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think there's only there's not too many. I think we've only had like three so far. Have you ever had any marathon board game sessions? She wants to know. She deliberately avoids playing risk because the length of the games. Sometimes uh, recently her friends have been playing Settlers of Catan, which takes 45 minutes. After two hours, it, se- it seemed like none of them were going to be on speaking terms by the time they were done. So they quit. It was terrible. Uh, I once played a game for 38 days straight, but I think that's probably uh, my record. Is that a board game, though? It would be. It's kind of boring. Second time was probably really boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the only thing I can I can uh, sort of relate to is, uh, you know, as an Orthodox Jew, we don't use any technology, electronics, mm-hmm. um, on Friday night till Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. Um, and so when I was young, we played a lot of board games on Saturday afternoons because there's nothing. You can't watch TV. Uh, you can't go on the computer. So it was a lot of board games going on. Right. Yeah. So one time it was uh, we had like six hours to go. And so we started a game of Monopoly and it started about five of us. And it came down to two me and one other guy. And it's been about five and a half hours, five hours, 45 minutes. And similar to Kramer in this episode, I'm about to win. And then we looked up the clock and realized, oh, it's over. We can now we have, you know, we're back on with access to TV and, and we could go out, we could drive a car and literally a five hour, 45 minute game that was probably two turns away from finishing. We both just basically flipped the board and we're like, all right, we're done. We don't need to see who wins this. So it's like to me, growing up, board games were only for Saturdays when there's nothing else to do. Right. I don't have enough friends to play any board games. I would love to play some long board games, but like I've tried with my wife before, and it's it's uh, does not. Well, go now on. the only like that board game that I mentioned, the menu that I play, I play online, so I don't need any friends. Mm-hmm. The, I, like I, my daughter likes to play, but maybe she's not listening. But I'm too good for her at this <laughs> point. I, <laughs> I think uh, I, I almost need like uh, you know I, I have to find someone my level. I don't want to sound like bragging because online I could find someone, but in person <laughs> it's hard to find someone who could play with me at this point. Okay. Uh, what about Amir, Akiva? He wants to know, why would Newman use Jerry's apartment as a neutral place to keep the risk board? Uh, Jerry's and Kramer are best friends, and Kramer spends practically all his time in Jerry's apartment, while Newman is Jerry's mortal enemy, a person who Jerry, Jerry actually legitimately dislikes. It's the equivalent of the U.S. and Mexico having a meeting and using Donald Trump as the neutral third party. Considering how quickly Bonnie and Scott... Oh, that's a new question. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Why is he the neutral party? And, it's, and you know, as we said in the deleted scene, he doesn't trust Kramer to go in there. I think Newman realizes that Jerry just doesn't care. Right. And I think that so Jerry what, what is also, it to Jerry? He's going to help Kramer win this game? That's beneath Jerry. Yeah. I also don't think that Kramer would cheat. I think that um, Newman's concerns are unfounded about Kramer's cheating. I think that Kramer has been shown to be a stickler. Uh, right. w- without rules, there's chaos. I think that Newman uh, should not have concerns Kramer would cheat at risk. But a cheater probably assumes that everyone else cheats also. Hmm. I guess he doesn't so. know of an honest world. That's a good point. A good uh, psychological assessment, Akiva. Okay, and Amir also wants to know, considering how quickly Bonnie and Scott agreed to the menage, and in addition to the fact that they've clearly previously discussed this, doesn't it raise the clear possibility that Bonnie and Scott were already up to something, or at least had feelings for each other? Bonnie seems to scoff at all of George's questions, and he comes off as paranoid during the episode, but maybe he was actually on to something. It's a really good question. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, we talked about this last week. Were the two roommates from last week's episode, had there been some sort of sexual history there or at least experimentation, maybe the same is true for uh, the issue of Scott and Bonnie. Maybe they had dated. 
Maybe, you know, yeah, I mean, it's possible Maybe they're like a Jerry and Elaine because she didn't mention that she had a male roommate. So clearly she's willing to withhold information because some people think like withholding info is not a lie. But clearly, uh, you know, she's in that camp where the withholding doesn't mean you're lying. Uh, I, I also think with these threesome stuff, like it's the type of thing that a person's done either zero times or like dozens and dozens <laughs> of times. And the fact that they're so into it and, you know, and, and Scott looks so much like she's clearly attracted to him. Uh, you know, in the sense that uh, he she he looks exactly like her current boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They're at least uh, they're frisky. I don't know if at the very least, George's suspicion that when Bonnie comes home, she discusses with Scott what happened is probably uh, correct. Yeah, I don't know. Again, we do not have a threesome correspondent at this time. <laughs> and uh, no one volunteered. Have no way, especially. Uh, and do we need like the, it might have gone to my spam. I feel like that's the type of thing that could go to spam. You right. Know? Probably. <laughs> All right. Finally, Chester says it makes no sense that Elaine, Kramer, and George were so close to the Drake that they had to get him a gift, yet they're not invited to his wedding. Some people have small weddings. Yeah. It's also weird that Jerry's in the wedding and we, you know, and we never see the Drake again. Mm-hmm. Like, he's supposed to, to be in the wedding party. A wedding party is usually like four, six, eight people. You know, how like Jerry, I mean, I guess we've established that Jerry's kind of one of his best friends, but have you ever, and this is, and now I'm asking the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. I should ask this to the let me ask this to the audience and if anyone has a good story here, but I wonder if anyone's ever been asked to be in a wedding party where it was weird. Like they should, they had no, there should not have been in like the top five or top seven. Oh, well, Akiva, you it's are. It's never been for you. You're asking, uh, absolutely. Have you ever been in a wedding party other than family? Akiva, I should tell you that I have been in the wedding party of three different friends of mine from college. That's great. Yes. You're probably not in touch with any of them anymore, but that's fantastic. I text from time to time. Okay. I mean, no, that's good. I, it is funny. I do think that, like, I've been in wedding parties. I don't know how many, um, but they were all from high school friends. Mm-hmm. You know? No, I don't have any uh, high school It's friends. never, like, even if I'm closer with people now, uh, you I didn't know, have any high school friends when I was in high school. Right, right. I feel like, well, maybe, but I'm maybe the opposite, where it's like, those are still, like, the people I feel close to, which is maybe, like, sad. Mm-hmm. You know, I should feel closer to my college friends, but I was married already in college, so it was, like, a different situation for me. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, but if anyone has the the story where they have been asked and and like it was really awkward or alternatively where they they and we'll protect your anonymity, if, especially if it's the other one, it were they like they weren't asked and it was like absurd to them, like they thought they were the best friend or something. I would love to. I like to hear those stories. <laughs> OK. All right, then. And so finally, Chester adds in, we see Scott's boxes in the uh, Postal Service truck with a shipping address of 205 West End Avenue. It makes no sense that he would be shipping his boxes via the post office for a move in the same neighborhood. Maybe he could ask Keith Hernandez to help him move. Yeah, you use like Moisha's Movers or whoever that are all over the city. Why, yeah. why, why don't you use a moving company? Who is you? It doesn't make any sense, right, to use the mail. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he sent the, uh, the sofa and everything with the movers and then uh, had boxes that he sent uh, via the Well, post it didn't office. work out. No. No. Okay. Akiva, what's the hashtag? Uh, do you have any choices? The only thing I have written down was uh, a big label, but that was a while ago. Do you have anything written down? I feel I like I wrote down Chekhov's peephole. Okay, that's good. Chekhov's <laughs> peephole is good. I'm not sure if anyone's typing that onto their computer, but it's funny. Oh, and we will avoid going with uh, Devil's Triangle. Also, yeah, definitely not. Definitely, and don't even click that hashtag. Who knows what's going on there? All right, Akiva, what's coming up next week? Okay, so next week we have. Uh, we've got a cop trying to catch his, his, you know, white whale at last. We have George. He has no poker face, but he does have a toupee. 
<laughs> it's the Scofflaw. <laughs> the Scofflaw. Terrible name for the episode. Right. Toupee stuff is memorable, but the Scofflaw stuff, I think, is pretty forgettable, right? Well, we, we want to just tell people not to listen. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you always say but we, we get but the, the, i feel like the podcast is i i would like to know the i don't know if if uh if our buddy sean falconer could figure this out the i would want to know because i we asked chester to rank the podcast going forward but mm-hmm. he has not done that why what's he working on i don't he's he's a busy guy he's got a new job but also i i gotta plug a 32 fans a podcast where we're at the final four of the uh of the uh greatest living american almost done really dragging it out right uh, listen, listen, it's it's an important decision. I don't want to just make some haphazard guess that I got to live with for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it has been dragged out. But yeah, is we're having a spoiler to say who's in the final four. No, no. The final four is uh, Bill Gates. Yeah. Uh, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg came out of the weakest bracket. Yeah. And Muhammad Ali. I feel like a pretty reasonable final four. Greatest living American. Greatest living American. I say Zuckerberg is uh, four out of four and it's not close. Oh, yeah, no question. He came out of that, that Al Gore region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, you can check that out. Uh, search for 32 fans in 32 days. And if you lobby hard enough on Twitter, maybe uh, Akiva and Chester will consider uh, eight fans in eight days uh, in the CFL the preseason. I don't think we're going to consider it. Hey, I hey, think, um, yeah, but if, if Falconer could do some sort of ranking of like the quality of the Seinfeld episode versus the quality of the podcast we do that week. I don't know how you would do that. (laughs) Listen, he's got methods we can't even understand. He's doing 3D next level stuff, Rob. Okay. All right, well... That would be very impressive uh, to pull. Or that maybe off. he could just like use an algorithm to figure out like the quality of our episodes, like how many times we laugh, you know, how long, like how like like awkward pauses, things like if that. Anybody could figure it out. It would be him. But I think that you might have uh, just been asking him to do the impossible. Well, let's see. Well, we, we, he's got he's got like ten days till the hundredth episode. So let's see what he could do. <laughs> All right. So uh, Akiva, great stuff. Uh, once again, good work. Looking forward to the scofflaw next week. Uh, make sure you get your email questions in if you're thinking of them for our 100th recap uh, or 100th episode, uh, re- a recap of the 100th episode uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps. You can also subscribe and leave us feedback. Uh, we do appreciate that always. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes or search for the Seinfeld Post Show Recap on iTunes, and uh, we do appreciate the comments and the feedback ratings. Uh, Akiva, you won't believe who I had coffee with this week. Oh, tell me. Our if recapper, it's Larry David, don't even tell me. No, our show recapper, Mike Moore. Ooh, Mike Moore, hanging out in L.A. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we, were, we were hanging out. Even though I've never met you, Akiva, I have never met, met our me. show recapper. Let me ask you a question now that you bring this up. Yeah. We got 81 episodes to go. Mm-hmm. Are we going to meet before the series finale? I'll, what, what is it? When are we going to schedule to end? Fall 2017? Yeah, now we're maybe about the very end of August, first week in September of 2017. Hmm. I'll say... And not- it, we should note, because I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast, we did an episode this summer over two days where we were like five miles apart. Mm, yes. Yeah, we almost did meet I up. was at my mom's house and you were at your in-law's house. Yeah. Pretty close together. Pretty close together. We almost did meet up uh, this past summer. I, I would say that the odds are against it. I'd, I'd say it's probably uh, eight to one. That okay. I'd say no. I feel like the mystique is better. I, you meet me. I, I, generally, people like me better on the internet anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we will see. Also, uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who edits uh, these shows down and cuts out all of our worst mistakes. So thank you so much again to Scott. 
Looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com. Always appreciated uh, when you guys give us your feedback about the episodes. And Akiva, anything else? Uh, no, I'm good. All right. That's it, everybody. Take care. Bye.